everybody. Welcome to another episode of All the WrestleMania is the podcast. I'm your co-host, Tim Hackman. And I'm your co-host, Rich Sigwald. We're delighted to be back with you. We're always delighted to be back with you. We hope you enjoyed our most recent episode with the one and only uh, David Crockett. What a, what a phenomenal guy. What a, what a great time we had talking to him. Uh, Rich, are you still feeling a little bit starstruck by your, uh, your brush with greatness there? Uh, I completely am. I like Even my wife, who is not a wrestling fan, last night was like, you're talking to famous people on your podcast. What is that about? So, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of been a bit surreal and exciting to know that I got to talk to him. And I'm really disappointed that I won't be able to meet him in person on December 2nd. Well, we uh, I've got another you know, fun surprise for you. Not surprised. You knew what we're, we're doing here. But um, we've got another major figure in the history of Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. Um the current commissioner of Virginia championship wrestling and a great friend of the show like to welcome today, Mr. George Pantis. Welcome, George. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be on uh, your podcast. Uh, I was happy to discover you guys. And when I did, I've been very faithful and listening and (laughs) just absolutely love what you guys do. And God bless you both. Oh, thanks so much, George. We yeah, uh, we really you. appreciate you being on here, and uh, you know we're we're big fans of the the VCW um, promotion and the product that you all put on. Um, the next show, if you haven't marked your calendars already, and you really probably should, uh, is Tidings of Destruction. It's December second here at the Norfolk Masonic Temple. The tickets and all the usual are vcwprowrestling.com. Uh, as we talked about on the last episode, David Crockett will be in attendance, and he's coming basically to help uh, help George celebrate his retirement from his role as vcw commissioner that's uh, pretty exciting huh um exciting and melancholy and uh, a little bit of everything else that i'm sure we'll we'll get into but uh yes it's i i can't wait to see david it's been a few months since we've seen each other and uh, so from that regard it's a it's a happy reunion but on a sad note there, because, you know, the, it, it, it's starting to hit me would be the best uh, answer to c- the question. Uh, my wife is like, George, you're saying everywhere you're going to retire. You're not really going to retire, are you? <laughs> I said, yes, I am. And, uh, and so, so finally it's starting to hit because it's only a couple more days. We're in the final yeah. week. It's coming up. Yes. Yeah, so uh, congratulations on this upcoming retirement. It's 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 great and amazing to spend fifty years in something that you clearly love. Uh, but you know what made you decide that now is the time to step back from your uh, your role as VCW commissioner after all these years? Thank you, Rich. Thank you for the for the comment uh, and the question. The the real answer is, you know, I, I wish at the end of the day we, we had this long out plan and I would make my comeback and, and would have a, you know, a, a different kind of a, of a happy ending. And this is a happy ending of sorts, but uh, I'll be 68 uh, Valentine's Day. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. Dealing with some uh, physical health issues, uh, specifically my knees, my back. My uh, foot, I have a severe tendon tear that the doctor said can literally go any moment. Uh, last month, we had the Greek festival. And even though I was, you know, people said, well, you're just a master of ceremonies. Well, it's the festival. So <laughs> I'm up there doing some dancing and, and exciting the crowd. So I was uh, medicated, if you will, with cortisone shots in my knees, on my, on my foot. 
So I'm praying that it'll hold through Saturday and, and longer because I'm not really ready mentally to, to have, a, have the surgery. But it's just time. So my, I'm ready to retire from active competition. And, and not that I'm some major wrestling star. I mean, I've, I've gotten in the ring in the past. But re- professional wrestling is about physical contact. And so somewhere I would need to have physical contact, whether it's f- with Jerry and we'll, well, mm. we'll get into, into my history <laughs> with him or anybody else for that matter. And so I just don't think it's fair for the product that I'm limited with what I could do. And uh, the time has come to bow gracefully. I'll still help behind the scenes. I'll, I'll, you know, if they need me to take care of something behind the scenes, I will. But at the end of the night, when, when the clock rings midnight on December 2nd, I will no longer be the commissioner for VCW. And as far as my any active uh active involvement in wrestling i i am done any idea on who's going to step into that role as the new commissioner after you uh, uh I keys do, uh, i do i do not uh, and uh it's something that i would like very much to have some input in but uh we're not we need to get over this uh uh you know this saturday first and then, and then I think I can look at it more objectively as well. Right now, there's too many emotions. <laughs> Let me nominate Tim. Yeah, nominate I'm, Tim. I'm happy to step in and serve. <laughs> and I'll do it. I do it for the love of the business and out of respect for George and 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 for maybe the chance to smack Jerry with one of those kendo sticks. That that would be that. Would, that's really all the payment that I would require, actually. So. <laughs> And, and that might be enough incentive for me to <laughs> throw your name in the hat right there. <laughs> although, although I have to admit that uh, in listening to the David Crockett interview, I was shocked, shocked, I tell you, that you are, have not, were not a Jim Crockett Promotions fan from the time you were born. I can't believe it. <laughs> I, I am deeply ashamed, uh, and you know one one of the real delights of this program actually has been getting to go back and watch some of that really classic stuff that I missed, you know, the first time around. And yes. so it's all it's all you know, you all, you guys have seen it all a million times, I'm sure. Um, but to me, it's all it's all new, and it's very exciting. Actually, it's like discovering a whole different uh, universe of wrestling that was not available to me as a kid. So. Um, it's been phenomenal, and I, I'm I would def I'm not as I wouldn't qualify myself as 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 uh, big of a, a fan or aficionado as uh, Rich is at this point, but I would definitely consider myself a a fan by this point. I think I've watched enough to um, I don't know at least get in the, the the bottom, like get in on the ground floor, you know. Sure. Now, where were you born? Where Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, central South Central Pennsylvania around okay. York York, PA, and it just. Yeah. Um, you know, WWF was everywhere on TV back then, obviously. Sure. Um, and but uh, that other stuff just wasn't. Occasionally, you know, you'd flip by and you'd see like uh, something that looked kind of like wrestling that you didn't quite recognize, and <laughs> just <laughs> so. But very good. Yeah. I, I'm just busting your chops, of course. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> it's yeah. okay. I'm used to it. So. Yeah. So speaking of uh, of JCP and Mid Atlantic, uh, we really enjoyed having uh, Mr. Crockett on our show, and we uh, one thank you for uh, making that happen for us. We really appreciate that. My pleasure. Um, so uh, since he's going to be at your retirement, 
that's a that's a pretty big deal. Um, how long have you uh, known David, and how did you guys actually meet? Sure. Uh, David and I go back at least 40 years ago. Uh, my, I, ha- I have a beautiful re- uh, story when it comes to my involvement with wrestling. And, of course, like all of us, started as a fan and uh, came to America when I was 10 years old. And that was back in 1966. Around 1968, I started to understand the English language a little bit. So uh, I discovered uh, wrestling here locally. It was Channel 10, NBC affiliate, that every Saturday at 5 p.m. Uh, it would come on. And I was drawn to it immediately, I think probably because wrestling, you know, that's, hey, the Greeks invented everything, right? So we invented wrestling too. So, <laughs> uh, so that drew me. And of course, I saw that it wasn't what I, what I thought, you know, what I grew up as a little child. But I was immediate. I understood. You know, you didn't need to know the language to understand the good guys and the bad guys cheating. And I, I was hooked from day one. I literally would cry when they would preempt it because there was a golf. God forbid, oh, <laughs> golf being played, and and they wouldn't show it. And and of course, they would always end in so many great cliffhangers that you were like, oh no, what happened next? And so uh, that's that was my introduction, and then, and and then um, they started coming to the Hampton Coliseum opened up in 1971, and they started coming there, and I was able to go through getting rides from friends because we didn't, no one drove in our house, but my father knew that I loved it, and he said, George, as long as you get good grades, you can go. When I went there, I. F- ran into a very dear friend from the church, much older. He was a grown man. I was a teenager. And his name, and he's really the one that I credit for opening the door for me for, for the wrestling. And, and, and I know, Rich, this is a very long answer, but <laughs> it, it gets us to, uh, first of all, I'm, as we know, I'm Greek, so I'm a, I'm a storyteller. Yeah. We Greeks are famous for that. So <laughs> I think we have to do part two, three, and four here, but... <laughs> So anyway, Tony Anthony, sports editor for the for the local paper uh, there in Newport News, and what they would do back then is, and, and this is, and you guys touched on it uh, with David Crockett about the erasing of the tapes. Well, you know, it was called the bicycle system, not not a real bicycle, but they would drive up here, they would film it on Wednesday nights, they would come up here Thursday to do the show. Swing by the station, leave the leave the tape uh, over in Portsmouth so they could air it on Saturday, and they would make just a couple of copies to take to the different TV stations, and then they would record over them because they were just so expensive. And so he would come here Thursday, Friday they they go to Richmond, and on the way to Richmond, the, it, whether it was uh, David Crockett or really the and David mentioned the Elliot Mer, the the Mernick family. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that promoted this area. They were the right-hand man, if you will, for Jim Crockett. So he would go by the paper, you know, buy ads for the paper. And he, uh, Mr. Uh, Joe Joe Mernick, uh, became very good friends with Tony Anthony. Well, it was my, you know, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. That time that I was there, Tony was there, Mr. Mernick was there. And Tony made the introduction for me to meet uh, to um, that I was a friend from the church, 
and ask Mr. Mernick to take good care of me. And then that's that was really it. Because Mr. Mernick and his wife, Shirley, and they were like in their late 60s, but they were my age, really, and I was a teenager. Um, they, um, they literally, you know, uh, took me under their wing and allowed me to, and this is the most incredible part of the story, that 1970s, we're talking when kayfabe was kayfabe. I mean, it was, it was super secret. Yeah. Yet, because I've, I've always been a frustrated director, I, would, I started with my little regular uh, eight millimeter camera, silent, and then grew to, to super eight, silent, and then color and, and sound. They allowed me to sit by the ring apron next to the ring announcer and film the young Ric Flairs, the young Ricky Steamboats, and on and on and on. And, and thank you, God, I, I, I filmed it and I you know, eventually left it in the, in the closet. And then about 10 years ago, when I decided to look at it, it was crisp and clear. And thanks mm. to that, gets to another part of the story with, you know, what I did with it, with documentaries and, and DVDs. So in saying all that, that's how I got my foot in the door through the Mernick family. And then as I got a little bit older and I was, I was uh, an older, you know, teenager and then in my early 20s, that's really, it was in the early 80s that uh, Mr. Mernick introduced me to David uh, through their sons. As he, because he was older, he had two sons, Elliot and Carl. Carl hated my guts. <laughs> he would see me by the ringside, and if the father wasn't there, he'd kick me out of there. <laughs> he was trying to protect the business, I guess. Elliot allowed me to sit there because Elliot was married to a Greek girl. And so being Greek, I guess he felt bad. I don't know. <laughs> um, and so the, and David and, and Elliot and Carl were very tight. So Elliot introduced me to David. And then, you know, David would ask me to do favors. Maybe I'd, I'd walk the ring jacket sometime, take some of the guys uh, to their hotel uh, and with my car. As a matter of fact, there's a great Road Warrior story about taking them to their hotel in Virginia Beach that we can get into if you want to later. Oh, yeah. So, so that's, the, um, that's the long answer to how I met David. And then um, the older, you know, he's... Uh, well, I'm 68, he's 76, but, you know, as we all become adults, that friendship just really matured, and uh, when he found out that when he started working for WCW and they ha they wanted having all the footage, because I didn't just film with my camera. You guys don't know this. Here's a little exclusive. What I also have is uh, I bought... Uh, back in 1982, I bought a VCR for like $1,000 for two reasons and two reasons only. To, to tape Johnny Carson, because I was teaching then and it was too late to stay up and watch him, and to tape my wrestling. So I have, I did not erase over them. I have many, mm. many VHS tapes of the Mid-Atlantic shows from back then. So I have stuff that they probably erased. I have it. And so anyway, when David found out that I had that, you know, he, he you, uh, I think uh, um, one of you asked him what was like his favorite match. Rich, I think you did. What was the yeah. favorite match that he, that he called? And his answer has never changed. The Rock and Roll Express versus the, the Russians. And so when he found out I had that match, I actually made the copy for him. And that really blossomed our, our friendship. That's incredible. Yes. Yeah. 
What a what a odyssey you've been on, huh? Not to... Very much so. Very much so. So I know that uh, fans who come to the show on December second will have the opportunity to have their pictures taken with both uh, you and uh, David during intermission. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, and then, um, the, and the picture that they will take with David is uh, we decided we want to recreate. And also, David is going to bring the original WCW World Tag Team belts with him. Original, not the not you know uh, a maker making duplicates. And um, so the fans can hold him in the picture, and he'll and David will hold a, a micro a VCW microphone like he's interviewing them. So it's really quite, uh, I think, quite a visual. Uh, that was one of the reasons that I, uh, I, uh, I was hoping Rich would be down there because I know that's a photo op he would not have missed for all the teen China. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have just been throwing. All my cash out on the ring, right there. Just this, you know. And then if I, I don't know. I then I'd want to go back and like find that set of the the old <laughs> uh, World Championship Wrestling set that you guys recreated for Ric Flair's last match stuff, and and just and just live in it. I want Tony Schiavone to yell at me. I, you know, it's the whole. <laughs> Yes, it's sir. the whole shebang, you know. That yes, sir. I, but yeah, I am, I am, I am quite disappointed that I won't be able to make it down. I, of course, my my voices uh, in my youth were Bob Cottle, uh, and since you've seen Tim the old tapes, you know who Bob Cottle is. I know Rich, you do, and it was Bob and David, and then eventually they brought in Tony. And something else that uh, you guys may or may not be aware is once WC, I mean, once uh, Jim Crockett promotions was sold to Jim Crock to uh, to Ted Turner um, some of the wrestlers Ricky Steamboat one of them Nasty Boys a couple of others they got together with Paul Jones with some investors and they actually opened up something called uh, South Atlantic Professional Wrestling mm-hmm. and Bob and they convinced Bob Cottle to uh, first it was North American and then they changed it to South Atlantic uh, and uh, to be the voice and I wound up being, this was like in 89, 90, and I wound up being the Virginia promoter for them. And when one of the times I went down there, and I'm sitting next to Bob Cottle, and he's introducing me as the uh, Virginia South Atlantic Wrestling promoter. And I'm like, I don't want to wake up if this is a dream. Bob Cottle is introducing me as the Virginia promoter. <laughs> this is unreal. So. I can totally relate, Rich, with what you said about Tony Savani yelling at you. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. Um, Yeah, I can't imagine being, uh, you know, in that position and just all of a sudden uh, there among the these guys that you, uh, you know, watched on, watched on TV and uh, and been so so hooked by. So as much as as much as I love and adore David as a friend. It's still, there are days that I'm like, David just texted me. <laughs> David Crockett just texted me. It's still surreal on, on some levels because, like you guys, we're at the end of the day, we're, we're real fans. And when you're real, to me with wrestling, you either love it or hate it. There's no in between. And, uh, and when you're a real fan, you know, you're going to mark out for lack of, to me, mark is not a bad word. You know, it's, Absolutely we're fans. Not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, like the the I found so what caused me actually to drift away from wrestling 
for a while was that I got too into it and I started reading all the spoiler sheets and the dirt sheets and stuff like that on the internet. And it's, and it took the magic out of it for me. And yes. Uh, so actually my road back into watching wrestling regularly was, uh, right after my mom had passed, um, my, a friend whose father had recently passed, asked me to go to a ring of honor show with him. Oh, wow. And that brought me right back in because I, I really didn't know anything about ring of honor. I didn't know what was happening there. I'd heard of it, but that was it. And so there was no way for me to get spoiled. There was no way for me to know what was going to happen or to know the people. And I just knew the good guys, the bad guys. And I felt this reconnection back with my mom through it. That's beautiful because my mom, you know, as I've said, probably almost every episode of this podcast now that my mom is really the one that got me into watching pro wrestling. And so having that connection again, and now it's just been a runaway train. My wife had no idea that I was really into pro wrestling that much until (laughs) I went to that show. And then it was just like, Oh, by the way, we're going to get Peacock without any commercials uh, because I need to watch everything that's on it. And I'm going to start a podcast with my friend, Tim, and I'm going to like just it just <laughs> it was just right down the rabbit hole with with pro wrestling. Yeah. And so I am definitely a mark. Uh, but again, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, not at all. Who are some uh, you probably mentioned it already, but uh, who are some of your moms? Just give me like three or four of her favorite wrestlers. Uh, so my mom was really head over heels for gorgeous George. So like every time we watch wrestling, she had the, she would talk about gorgeous George. Uh, she loved Ric Flair, uh, in a, in a love to hate kind of way. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So she also really, um, liked the road warriors as well. Uh, cause I was she, wondering why you popped when I said I have a yeah, great <laughs> she, <laughs> she liked the rough guy. She liked it. You know, she just wanted yes. to see the fights. She, she had definite bloodlust when it came to wrestling and that, <laughs> was a, that definitely, uh, satisfied that for her. So I think those are probably the top ones. And I remember her enjoying the rock and roll express a lot too. I would walk around at the school singing that song. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Rich is uh, Rich is super into the theme songs from the different wrestlers, the entrance musics and stuff. So uh, all the music that you hear on the show, Rich uh, composes himself. And oh, he's, wh- uh, wow, that's awesome! Very... Bravo, Rich! Congratulations! Mm, thank you. He's in, influenced by a lot of that old school. Uh, you know, those ones that Jimmy Hart and his uh, his partner wrote, and yeah, um, some very talented dudes. Um, so I thought we we just kind of mentioned the VCW show on December 2nd. I thought we could um, yes. chat a little bit about the card there and then we'll, then we'll come back to the, uh, yeah. the, um, your amazing story. Um, it's a stacked, it's a stacked card. Uh, you know, the, the shows are always a lot of fun. They're always just sort of action from start to finish. Uh, there's, there's some story, there's some comedy, there's some, uh, hijinks, but they're really, uh, you know, kind of a family friendly, uh, event and they're, the, they did, the VCW has a lot of just really cool stars. Um, so right now the cards looking like former, former, and we can talk about that for a sec. Uh, VCW heavyweight champion, the boar is going to, uh, go up against ring of honor star Moses. Moses is a big old dude. He's coming in for the first time. I think, right. He hasn't been with you guys before. The very first time I was one of the, uh, you know, I had seen him and talked to some of the others and thought, 
wow, what a test that he would be for Bohr if we can bring him in and challenge him for the for the title. Of course, now Tim, you were there and you saw and you mm-hmm. saw Bohr lose the title. Yes, very disappointing. And Bohr has just such an incredible story for for the fans uh, listening who uh, who have not heard me say this on maybe on, on another podcast. What an amazing behind the scenes story with Bohr. He grew up right here in the Hampton Roads area over in Hampton. And this is a true story with what I'm going to say next. As a little boy, he would come to when VCW would do the shows over at the Bingo uh, Mercury Center Hall over there. He would come and he would tug on my little on, on my jacket and say, Mr. Mr. Pontus, Mr. Pontus, I'm going to be a wrestler. And he was a skinny little thing, of course, back then and, and, and very young. I'm like, sure, yeah, sure, son, sure. Yeah. And now look at him. Oh, my God. And to become our heavyweight champion on top of that, just, uh, and thank you for having him on, by the way. Um, yeah, he was but, great. We had a lot of fun talking to him. Um, that, that's, anytime. That screenshot of um, the three of us talking and him sitting there in his poor mask is one of my favorite pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, and uh, yeah, that he really got, uh, got a little bit of a screw job there in, uh, in Alexandria from, yeah. uh, from good old Joe Keys. So. So both of these guys have something to prove. Obviously, Moses, first time, he wants to impress the crowd. And, and I'm going to pause for a second to say I'm a firm believer when, when WWE or AW, they do their house shows because that's where you, you get to see, you know, like real, not real. What you get to see is long matches rather than on TV, everything is timed and, you know, two minutes and it's over already. And so back back when I was watching it as a fan, I loved it when a new wrestler came in because it was very obvious that wrestler had something to prove to the fans, had something to prove to the other wrestlers that I can hang with you guys. And, and it was just true competitive, uh, you know, matches. And so, and so my gut feeling says Moses has something to prove. Meanwhile, Bohr wants the title shot again. So he's got something to prove. Uh, that uh, he's still in contention. And so this is going to be one of those matches going to be hard fought, and I can't wait to be right there at ringside to see it. Yeah, it should be a good one. Just two big old dudes running into each other. It's going to be great. Uh, also on the card, the the new VCW heavyweight champion, Boo Joe Keys, uh, again, who stole one a few weeks back, is going to go up against a former VCW heavyweight champion, another great friend of the show, uh, Brandon Scott. It's going to get a title shot. Um, I'm excited to see that one. I like, you know, I, I don't, you know, I have feelings about Joe Keys, but I, I am a, I'm a Brandon Scott fan uh, and I'll be rooting for him. I don't know. He's a, he's a little on the small side compared to Joe though. What do you think? Well, uh, of course what, uh, and now he goes by Joseph Keys, by the way. Mm, uh, very no fancy. longer Joe. Yes. Uh, not um, on the show. He's still Joe Keys. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> if he's lucky, uh, if he's lucky, we'll call him Joe. Yeah. Yes. And, of course, Brandon has that incredible experience. So many years in the business, 16, 17, I think, the years in the, in the business, competed, has competed on, on the biggest uh, you know, companies, both in AEW and many, many times uh, over in the WWE in various capacities. And so he's got that skill. He, he was our longest reigning uh, VCW heavyweight champion. 
And so I know that uh, Brandon um, is going to go into this match. Well, what I don't know is because as, uh, he's, you know, he's wrestled heel or as a bad guy for such a long time. And, and with Joseph Keyes being the bad guy, I'm curious to see if, is this going to be the battle of the bullies, if you will, or is this going to be Brandon taking the high road? Uh, so the, uh, I'm, I'm, interesting to, I'm interested to see how Brandon has decided to wrestle this match. So uh, I'm looking forward to this one as well because of that reason alone. I've, I've loved Brandon through the years, but I wasn't crazy with his last run when he started, especially when he aligned himself with, with uh, Jerry Stefanicius there. The worst. Yeah. No, uh, it was fun to see him as a, as a face at the Alexandria show. We were both happy to cheer for him. Yeah. Actually his, uh, his wife came over and said, you better cheer for Brandon this time. And I actually, you know, I was happy to oblige. I don't want to get in trouble <laughs> with the wife. So. That's right. Yeah. Joe, Joe keys has like a, like kind of a, a, a Rick rude kind of look to him. I, I thought like with the stature and the trunk trunk style, and even some of his ring work, I thought was really, really Rick rude esque. I think that's a very fair comparison. And he also has wrestled in Ring of Honor. You know, he's been, yeah. uh, he he has that experience as well. This really is, and that's the other beautiful thing when it comes to independent wrestling, that you, at least at least on our level. And thank you, Tim, for saying earlier that we are family entertainment because we, we pride ourselves in that. But we also pride ourselves in finding uh, wrestlers that have uh, been around and, and can definitely put on a quality product and a quality match. And that's something that we're very proud of and we continue to uh, bring in wrestlers that can do that. Yeah, 100%. Um, keep going on the card here. Uh, Rex Lawless, another just big old dude uh, with Neil Sharkey. He's, he's aligned himself with the Sharky Tank, uh, unfortunately, versus a uh, local hero, I would call him, Phil Brown. Phil Brown is a guy that's uh, been around here for uh, a long time, and the, the fans absolutely love him. Rex Lawless, on the other hand, is uh, a relative newcomer. I think he was maybe, I think the first time we saw him was at that ODU show, maybe. Um, and that dude is massive. Like, you know, uh, Vince Vince McMahon always had the uh, the airport test, right? Like, you see a guy in the airport and you're like, oh, that guy is somebody, right? Yeah. He's a, and he has that thing, you know, whatever that is. He's just, he's big and he's wide and he's like, and he's, uh, anyway, so that, again, he definitely it should has be the uh, look of a professional wrestler, yes. 100%, yeah. Um, and Phil, like I said, Phil Brown is, is also just an absolute, uh, unit. <laughs> so that should be a good one as well. Phil, Phil is our, you know, I've, I've called, called him for several years now, our undertaker in the sense that he has been with us for quite a long time, mm-hmm. has that loyal following, uh, from Hampton actually, actually went to Hampton high school. Uh, so, uh, has that loyal following and. And he's just as jacked as uh, Mr. Lawless there. So this is this is another one of those matches that uh, uh, that I think is going to surprise the fans with the physicality of. Them. Yeah, maybe a bit of a uh, youth versus experience vibe there too. Yes, um, indeed. Uh, Greek god Papadon is going up against Chris Slade. Chris is a a relative um, newcomer. He's he's been really really impressive in uh, the last few times we've seen him. Smaller guy, super fast, high flyer, really acrobatic and impressive. And of course, uh, Papadon is uh, you know just again an absolute 
uh, specimen, uh, a guy who's really good at uh, at being the bad guy and uh, and taunting the fans. He thinks he's so much better than everybody else. I don't know if that's because he's Greek and you guys are just better at things, or well, I don't know what his his whole deal is there. But uh, that should be a good one too. Yes, and and of course you have a veteran versus, like you said, a young high flyer, and 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 you know Papa Dunn is more of a grounds man. This is going to be an interesting match for me uh, to, to see. Papa Dan and I have went round and round with each other. I originally brought him in because of the Greek connection, let's be honest. But then he quickly showed his true colors, and uh, he and I went sideways on several, several times. But at the end of the day, you cannot deny talent, and he is a super talented uh, veteran. He was actually in, in the movie The Wrestler. I don't know if you're aware of that. I did, uh, yeah. And he would be another great one to have on your on your show. We can, of course, make that happen. Uh, and uh, so, yes, and with uh, this match is going to be uh, a, a match that I think is, is going to surprise a lot of fans. I'm curious to see if Papa Dan decides to go up high <laughs> with this. Yeah, he's a he's a tough guy for sure. We'll see if he can uh, see if he can adjust to somebody a little um, quicker and, and younger. Um, the U.S. Liberty Lottery champion, the Hoss of all Hosses, Devantes, is going up against Saul Esparza. Again, Saul is uh, somebody who's made a made a turn recently. He was uh, kind of aligned with Neil Sharkey and and kind of uh, you know a little little sleazy a little bit but at the last show he uh he kind of i don't know he showed a, a different side of himself what do you what do you think yes uh, yes indeed and uh I, you know at the end of the day you have to be hungry and uh hungry means you got you have to chase the belts because if you don't chase why then are you in the business uh, and so Saul uh really i think has made a, a conscious decision to um, start making a bigger name for himself. And what better way than to take on the horse of all horses? I mean, if he can, if he can defeat him, he did pretty well in that uh, battle royal. Uh, he came the winner. So um, I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's going to – I think what's also interesting is who, which side is Neil going to take? Because these are both his men still. Uh, Saul didn't officially leave. Uh, Sarki. So it, this is definitely one that that uh, has me uh, curious to see what's going to happen. Well, Neil Neil's a squirmy guy. He's just going to go on the side of whoever wins. He's just gonna he's just gonna hang back, and he's going to back whoever's in control to that match, uh, whenever. And so he's going to change sides a bunch, and then he's gonna he's going to be super happy about whoever wins. That's what's going to happen. I, I <laughs> you you, you uh, remember what I said? If I start Laughing, I'm going to start coughing. So, <laughs> but, but you're definitely sorry, if, uh, fans listening, fighting a little bit cold here. Uh, but uh, yes, I think you described Neil to the T. <laughs> I do enjoy booing him at the matches and insulting he- his clothes. It's kind of one of my favorite pastimes. <laughs> So, and then the last one that I have here on the card is the Tidings of Destruction Derby. There's eight entrants. The first uh, pin or the submission wins that one. That should be a lot of fun. I don't see a women's match on here at the moment. Are you guys looking for a, a matchup, or uh, what do you think? Well, we still have a couple of days, so we have to okay. wait and uh, wait and see what happens. But yes, that Derby one we came up with that concept of a couple of years ago. It's literally like uh, we called it Derby. Uh, you know, for a reason, they're like the, like the cars when they're all in the center there of the Coliseum and they're driving all over the place and hitting each other all over the place. Same concept. 
we're going to put the wrestlers in the ring all at the same time and then just let them go. And whoever pins gets a pin, then they're the winner. And of course, if you're the winner, then you have bragging rights and you can start going after titles. So this is going to be a very fun match. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. The, uh, the chaos of that kind of thing is always, uh, always a good time. Um, Let's see what else. So yeah. So yeah, anyway, we do want to say while we're we're in that yeah. in that clip, we do want to just mention one more time the, that fans who are they can still obviously buy tickets at the door, as you mentioned earlier. Earlier, uh, front row has been sold out for quite some time. There's a few seats remaining at ringside, and we je- we definitely have general admission, and they can go to vcwprowrestling.com for their tickets uh, and and buy them and be ready and just walk right in. Awesome. Yeah, very uh very affordable show. Um check it out. You'll you'll have a good time for sure. Um all right. So, thanks for uh running down the card with us. We're we're excited to to check it out. Uh I think Rich was going to pick up with some questions a little bit about uh your your about your story of um coming to the US as a as a young man. You alluded to it a little bit. Yeah. Uh so basically it's just like your immigration story. Uh so my father immigrated to the US in 1959 from Germany. So, uh, I, I'm always interested in people's immigration story and what brought them to the United States, what brought their family to the United States. So what about yours? So before I answer, I have to ask you a question. Speaking Sie Deutsch? Uh, uh, kinda. Well, that's all I know. So <laughs> <laughs> we're in the same boat. <laughs> so, I, I, um, I went to Germany a couple of years ago with my family and oh, I was nice. the only one able to read the menus and the street signs. But after that, that was <laughs> where, where in Germany is your dad from? Do we able to uh, go back home? Uh, yeah, we were, we went to Munich for a week and Beautiful. so that's where he was from. And it was, Beautiful. it was quite a trip. Yes. So uh, our story basically is, I'm from a small village of, uh, at that point, uh, less than 500 people, uh, very poor in the sense that uh, we had no electricity, no running water in, in the house. We were poor, but we didn't know that we were poor, I guess. You know, I didn't know that I was poor until I came to America. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> we weren't poor. We were poor. We couldn't even afford the letter R. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> my father, uh, so it was the 1960s and everybody was leaving Greece to, to go. Usually they would go to Germany. Funny used to say Germany because I have often said, if my father had not come to America, the other two options were going to be either Australia, because Australia at that time, I don't know what, the, what the, their laws are today, is they needed people. And so you could go straight over there. You didn't have to have, like here in America, uh, somebody sponsor you and, and things like that. Or many of the Greeks would go to Germany and work in the factories. Um, so I, ha- I have often said if I was never came to America, more than likely uh, I would have been in Germany, you know, working in one of the factories. So, um, so my father had a skill, and that's the best part of the story. Uh, he was a tin, T-I-N, tinsmith. And that became crucial later on. So we had a relative here, and every Christmas he would uh, send. He was born, and I'm from the village of Zafia, 
on the island of Lesvos. And Tim, since you are a librarian and, and a connoisseur of books, you will appreciate uh, this a quick connection of the island that I am from in the sense that um, in the story of the Trojan War, uh, uh, it was my island that when they left the Trojan horse behind the Greeks to trick the Trojans into bringing the horse in and hence the, hence the soldiers, they had to, the rest of them, Ulysses and the rest of them, or Odysseus is how we say the name in Greek, they had to hide somewhere. They hid on my island and waited for the fire signal. Uh, I'm from the island of Lesbos, very, very near Turkey. If when you land on the in the capital, you can literally see Turkey on the other side. And so the famous uh, Greek poet Sappho is also from Lesbos. It's, yes, uh, indeed. Uh, one of the greatest. Yeah. Very, very. Uh, and so uh, this relative, Uncle George, out of respect, I called him, uh, but he was really a distant relative, second or third cousin. Did extremely well here over in the Newport News area in, in real estate. And he would always send us uh, to the children toys and to my parents' money and always a letter to my father. If you want to come to America, I'll bring you. And if you like it, we'll figure out a way for you to stay here. So finally, it was 1964. My father was close to, like I said, going to Australia because many, many of the young men from our village were going there. So there was a connection. Then he said, well, you know, everybody talks America, America, let me, let me try it and see what happens. And so he came over as a tourist, of course, meaning he would have to go back. And uh, once here, he decided that he could make a go of it. And uh, how long have you guys, uh, Tim, how long have you lived in this area? I've been here um, about a year and a oh, half. Okay. So there was a very famous factory in Hampton called the Brass Shop, B-R-A-S-S, Metals. Uh, and it was there, and the owner of that factory and Uncle George were good friends. So he took my father over to that factory, and my father, because he was a tinsmith and knew how to work with metals, was able to do extremely well there. And at that time, there was a law, and it's probably still true today, that if you're an immigrant, if you have a skill and you're needed within a certain geographical area and you're the best at it and somebody's willing to sponsor you and you know, fill out the paperwork, you can stay here. And that's how my father was able to stay here. That was 1964. He was a very proud man and, and was not going to accept any more help from Uncle George as far as money. So he literally worked from, nine, from 8 in the morning until 10 at night, Monday through Saturday, a very hard physical job. When we came over and I would see him come home, he was always dirty and filthy because he would stand in front of a buffing machine and he would, all that dirt of the brass items would, you know, be on his clothes and stuff. But in two years, he was able to save enough money to send us money every month, my mother, sister, and I, so we could live. He was the only source of, of income. Put money down on a little house and pay for our tickets. And we came over on a ship because we brought our belongings with us. And so he came in 64 and we came in uh, 1966. And that's how I came to America. And we heard earlier what happened. In, well, actually, what happened in 1968, yes, I discovered wrestling, but I also discovered the world of work. In 1968, I'm in, we called it junior high school back then. I come home, 
and I see my father home early from work and crying. Now, my father was a man's man. My, you, know, you didn't show those kind of emotions. I, it scared me to, you know, a lot. And I asked what happened. And what had happened was this factory that we're talking about burned down to the ground. And my father didn't speak the English language, didn't understand what was happening. In his mind, I can't work anywhere else. I don't speak American. I'm going to have to go back a failure. But thank God for insurance. And the owner, you know, it was just an old building and bad wiring. They built a new place. But while they were building the new place where I wound up working, I went to the old place to help sort out the burn pieces. And there, I, the boss was so impressed with the other children. I was 12 years old. And where the other kids were playing, I was separating the good from the bad. And he offered me a job making 50 cents an hour, which was good money but for me. And so I started working since the age of 12. I did not stop until I retired in 2019, 50 years later. I put in 40 years in education and now I'm getting ready to do 50 plus years retirement with, with the, our crazy, wild and beautiful world of professional wrestling. So that's my story of how we um, came to America. Fantastic. Yeah, that's quite a, quite a journey. And, un- and unique, but probably also fairly um, common in terms of, you know, kind of a typical, uh, you know, immigrant story and coming and, and starting, you know, from from the starting from the bottom and, uh, and kind of working your way. Yes, I would say the only uh, thing that's not typical about me is one of the few Greeks that I did not go into the wrestling. I mean, into the restaurant <laughs> restaurant business. Mm. Most Greeks, yeah. of course, own restaurants. Uh, and but you know, uh, on a serious note, I would see that world every Sunday. I would see Greeks leaving church earlier than the service was over, and I would ask my mother why they're leaving, and she was like, "Because <laughs> they have a restaurant. You know, they got to go get ready for the noon crowd." And I decided that wasn't the world that I wanted to be involved with. Plus, from day one, when I was a little boy, I've always wanted to go into education. I've, Teachers were very well respected in my little village, not only from a money perspective, they, you know, they made much more money than the farmers that lived in my little village, but respect, you know, that's a teacher. I mean, when a teacher, when a teacher would walk into, into the classroom, the students stood up out of respect, okay? When a teacher walked into, I don't know, a, a cafe and there wasn't a seat, somebody would stand up so they can sit down. So you see that as a little child, it's like, oh, my God, that's the job I want. And then I came to America and I found out teachers have no respect, get no respect, and they uh, they get paid very little money. <laughs> but that love just always drew me to it. And I was very blessed to, to go into that field and, and feel very accomplished in the many lives that I was able to help, thank God. Yeah, so when did you uh, gain citizenship? Uh, so... Um, so that's an interesting story. I don't think I've never talked about this on a public platform. Um, I I have been and always will be very proud of my Greek heritage. As a matter of fact, when I uh, and I still do public speaking, but when I was more active with it, I would introduce myself as saying, "I am Greek born and American bred, a thoroughbred." <laughs> and uh, but uh, I fought. Uh, becoming an American citizen because 
I would have to give up my Greek citizenship, I thought. I did not do my homework. Uh, and uh, number two, God forbid, if America ever went to war with uh, Greece, I would have to uh, pick up a gun and fight a Greek. And I just couldn't do it. And so I fought it uh, when I was uh, growing up. But then, you know, reality kicks in. And when I became a teacher, I quickly found out when I was looking for a job, uh, what my father had to go through every year. The boss had to fill out the paperwork. And uh, it just made it more difficult for somebody who might want to give me a job. And so once I, I became an educator, uh, so th uh, that's when we decided as a family all to become American citizens. And so that was very early on. And, and Greece actually believes in dual citizenship. So I'm still a Greek citizen. America, of course, does not. From an American perspective, I'm only an American citizen. And I finally just accepted in my heart well, number one, the, the Greeks and the, and the Americans get along, so they'll never fight against each other. And number two, if it comes down to it, I will fight for America, but in an office. I will not pick up a gun <laughs> and shoot another Greek, but I'll fight against them, you know, but from a, a mental perspective, if you will. I'm a very, 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 very proud uh, American and so blessed to be in this great country. And I I'm very grateful for what America has offered us, and as, as most immigrant uh, immigrants are, I'm sure Rich, your father, felt the same way, and uh, I, that was something that I did my best to implant in my students: the importance of of respecting what America has to offer us. I've always said to them, as long as you're not afraid to work, you can, here in this country, not only will you either find a job, but if you can't find a job, you can make your own job. You don't have that opportunity in many other countries. So God bless America. All right. I feel like we should cue, uh, we should cue up uh, America the Beautiful or something. Or Hexo Jim Duggan. Whoa! Hexo oh. Jim Duggan, yeah. That's, I had the same thought. Uh, so Hey there, tough guy. Um, hey. Hey there, tough guy. Uh, so I feel, it feels a little silly, actually, honestly, to go back to wrestling after, uh, such a great story, but I mean, that is what we're here to talk about. So maybe we should, uh, what do you, what do you think? Yes, um, most definitely. I think Rich, I have some great stories that I'd love to share with you guys. Far away. Maybe, yeah. So maybe that's where we can kind of pick up. So just by virtue of being around, you came to know and meet, you know, dozens, hundreds of, uh, of major wrestling figures. Um, you know, I've seen pictures of you with Roddy Piper, the ultimate warrior, the generation X, the undertaker, Tommy dreamer, Paul Heyman, Kurt angle, the iron Sheik, JJ Dillon, of course, uh, and more, I think, uh, you know, Rich and I were both when, when, uh, we became Facebook friends with you, all of a sudden Facebook was suggesting that we become <laughs> yeah. friends with like some of these people, <laughs> you know, that we know that we know and love. And it wasn't their like fan accounts. It was their actual personal accounts. So that was kind of, an interesting little oh, that's cool. glimpse uh, behind behind the curtain, you yeah. know. Um, so I know you alluded to a Road Warrior story, and maybe you have a few other uh, memories of you know of of meeting some of those folks, and maybe there were uh, a couple that were particularly memorable that you'd want to um, want to regale us with. Sure. So let's do the Road Warrior story because it's a fun one. So they're at the Norfolk Scope. They finish wrestling, and David calls me over. David Crockett and says, George, would you mind taking the guys? over uh, there over in Virginia Beach. Can you take them over after the show? I said, well, David, number one, I don't mind. But number two, I, I, need, to, I need to tell you what kind of car I have. 
At that time, I had a little Chevette, very small car to put these monsters uh, in. Okay, we all know how jacked both uh, road warriors were. Uh, and, and so I went over and I spoke with Animal and Hawk and Paul. I said, guys, you know, I have no problem taking you, but just know it's a little, you know, little Chevette. Oh, that's fine, George. That's fine. So, uh, I was of course excited to take them cause I was a huge fan of theirs. And so, but then I started thinking, oh, wait a minute, they're bad guys. And I wasn't parked under, underneath the scope. I was parked out, you know, uh, outside. So the fans are going to see them getting into the car. Now I started worrying, oh, my God, they're going to start throwing things at my car. <laughs> so when we got out, I'm like, guys, we got a book. <laughs> my car is way over there. Let's go. And so um, we got in the car. As a matter of fact, some of the, some of the fans saw us, and they started, like, coming in our direction. But I, I hit that, that uh, you know, accelerator, and we got out of that parking lot. But the funny part of the story that I want to share is, uh, so it's summertime. Uh, I, I have Animal sitting in the front, Paul and Hawk in the back. And I hear Paul tell Animal, uh, hey, An-, and he called him Animal, his real name, Joe. Hey, Animal, uh, close the window. George has the air conditioner on. And I hear Animal say, I can't. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> what do you mean you can't? You know? Now, I didn't, ha- I didn't have those electronic buttons. It was, it was that old hand crank. All you got to do is just turn the, you know, I didn't want to, I wasn't going to say it to him. Uh, but uh, I said, all you got to do is just turn the little hand thing. And then uh, Paul says, well, what do you mean you can? He says, I can't get my hand down there to turn the handle. So many muscles on top of muscles, the chest out to here, uh, the, you know, the arms out to here. He, what you and I do regular, put our arms down. He couldn't do that to, to roll the window. And it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so, and then, of course, I got him to the hotel, and we hung out and had some fun times together. But, but that's my fun story, that he could not close the window because he was so huge. That's pretty funny. Those guys, those guys were massive. I always kind of wondered, actually, if people called them Hawk and Animorph, if they called them um, Joe and what, Mike? Was it Mike? Mike, yes. Uh, yes. And it, that varied a lot, you know, in, in being behind there. It, it, it just depends on the wrestler and uh, how they were originally met. What I've noticed with them is how they originally meet you is what they, they go by. You, you know, they are wrestlers to this day. They call, man, call them uh, Mick Foley, either they call them Mankind, or they call them Cactus Jack, because that's how they met him. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It, it does, it does. I, I do want to, for the fans listening, I do want to share this going back a little bit. When I started, I realized quickly as a fan, uh, this was specifically more at the Hampton Coliseum, that uh, I liked the bad guys. And I liked them for a couple of reasons, because they were the bad guys. You know, but also, it was easier to get to them. The good guys, they were always surrounded by all these girls. And it was very hard as a, as a, as a guy to get in there to shake hand and say hello. But the bad guys, nobody wanted to go around them. So, so the very first one I ever went to, either one, of, well, I, I'm sure uh, Rich is familiar with the, the original Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Ollie and Gene Anderson. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, uh, so I was a huge fan of theirs. So I go, I see Gene. And back then, they didn't have the security that we have today. It was just a little rope. You just step over and you go. So I was so excited. I didn't, I, I saw him, oh my God, I'm gonna, I want to go say hi to him. So I, I stepped over the rope. 
went over there. Hi, Mr. Anderson. I'm a huge fan of yours. He checks me up and down. I was a skinny little thing. He says, get the blankety blank out of my blankety blank face. Oh, my God. Yes, sir. I backed up. (laughs) But I quickly figured it out. He didn't know who I was. He didn't know that Mr. Mernick was a friend of mine and all that. So, excuse me. So what I did, what I figured out quickly was if I want to meet a Gene Anderson, I need to see him. He needs to see me talking to a Ric Flair or a Greg Valentine or any of the others because then he'll know, oh, well, if Rick is talking to him, then, hey, I can talk, I can talk uh, to him too. So that was my little slow process of getting to know the wrestlers and and then once they they realized who I was, you know, and, and my personality is very open, we slowly became friends. So that so I, it's important to to do those things step at a time. Wrestling is about trust. If they don't trust you, they're not going to let you into that into that inner circle. Now, I have a story that I haven't told about Ric Flair in forever, and uh-uh. and, uh, and uh, Rich, this may touch a little bit on what you said earlier. Uh, about your mom. So my father uh, was very sick and uh, it was just a sad time at our house. And I would go to visit and he had cancer and it had gotten so bad he couldn't, he couldn't get out of bed anymore. And it was just sad. And so I'm thinking, what can I do? What can I do to, to, to cheer my mother and my father? And I realized I had went to visit on a Thursday night. Oh my God, it's Thursday night. They're at the scope. So back then, we didn't have cell phones, but we did have pay phones in the back. And I knew that pay phone number because I would go to the back. And so I decided I'm going to call and pray that somebody would answer that would know me. And I was going to ask to talk to Rick because by then Rick and I had become, Rick Flair, Rick and I had become friends. And uh, I would ask him to see if you could get on the phone for a minute just to kind of cheer up my father. And so I called. And thank God, Wahoo McDaniel answers the phone. Wahoo, of course, uh, knew who I was. And uh, what I did not know, and this is important to the story, but I'm going to say now I'm kind of jumping back and forth because I didn't find out until after we buried my father. And we buried my father in Greece. And when I came back to thank everybody, I found this out. At the same time that my father was ill, Wahoo's father was ill. So when I explained the situation, he immediately understood. He didn't say, oh, yeah, George, I understand. The only thing he said is, hold on, don't hang up. And he went and he grabbed Rick because Wahoo was kind of running the back for, for the Crockett's. And, uh, and I found out later also that Rick uh, was warming up to, for, his, for his match. So it wasn't like, you know, three hours later he was going to wrestle. But God bless him. He got on the phone. Uh, we had two phones, one in the bedroom, one in the living room. I was on the living room to translate. You know, and, and, and Ric Flair has always been, regardless of what you hear people say, he will always address you, hello, sir, how are you? Very polite, very well-mannered. And even though he was a bad guy, you know, when, when away from, from the limelight, which was never for him, <laughs> uh, he was always very, very polite. So, hello, Mr. Pontus. George tells me you're not feeling well. I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, I would translate. And then my father, I, I'll never forget this. He'll, 
He was, oh, I watch you on TV. I got to watch you now. He couldn't get, he couldn't move. He couldn't do anything. But he put a smile on my father's face. He hmm. put a, a smile on my mother's face. And that's why I don't care what Ric Flair does. Ric Flair will always be number one with me and why, you know, I helped the way I did with his last match and all these other things. He will always be number one for me. The nature boy, Ric Flair. Woo! Because the real Ric Flair is that kind of a man, very loving, very caring. <laughs> that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's a great story. So, um, I don't know if he would like that kind of uh, you know warm fuzzy getting out of that out there. Although he's he's kind of moved on no, behind uh, it, beyond uh, his, uh, and now he probably would. But it's funny you should say that because we were when he retired after his match with Shawn Michaels, uh, we were we at VCW were one of the first to bring him to uh, bring him in for autograph signings. This was like back in two oh eight two oh nine which was another cool moment for me. As he's being introduced, I got to do gorilla position for Ric Flair. So, mm -hmm. you know, they, uh, he's called to the ring. I tap him on the shoulder. I say, okay, Rick, uh, you know, go ahead in. And when he walked through the curtain, I'm like, I just did gorilla position for Ric Flair. I can die now and go to wrestling heaven. What can, <laughs> what can be better than, than, than doing gorilla position for Ric Flair? Of course, I've been blessed to do other cool things after that, but that was a very cool moment. But I share that story to say I had him on, on radio to promote the show, and I called in and I told the story. And uh, Rick says, George, you're killing my gimmick here. You're not supposed to tell that story on radio. <laughs> yeah, we're getting we're getting quite the full picture of, of the man, Ric Flair, here with uh, either him partying at the Marriott in Baltimore with only his robe and championship belt to him calling your <laughs> your sick father and cheering him up and addressing him as sir. This, uh, well, I got, I got news for you. I was at that party in Baltimore. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> he didn't poke you in the back of the head, did he? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, yes, I, I'm very blessed to be uh, at the original Jim Crockett Cup uh, in uh, New Orleans. And then the second year they had it in Baltimore, and I was able to go to that as well. And uh, oh, just a lot of fun stories there, which we could go into if you. <laughs> we should probably have you on the show to watch uh, one of those shows that you were in attendance for. Um, one of the Star wasn't one of the Starcades here in Norfolk, I think, right? Yes, Rich? Uh, yeah, uh, eighty-eight, I think. The uh, True Grit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that'd be a fun one to watch and talk to you about your your memories of that one. <laughs> The first time I met you was at, at the Old Dominion University show, and within 30 seconds, you were telling me an incredible story about you, Undertaker, Paul Bearer, and uh, yeah, and your near casting of being Undertaker. And to this day, I, I think about that, and you know, it's one of those if moments, but I'm also a, believe, a believer that everything happens for a reason. So it is a great story, and I uh, started to tell it about a year and a half ago, only because, you know, you tell a story like that, and who's going to believe it, right? Oh, yeah, sure. If, if it happened, you know, we would have seen you on TV. So it was one of those that I just kind of kept to myself. But once I started doing the podcast, you know, I decided to share it. And the happy ending is the best part of the story. So here we go. So 
it's the early 90s. They introduced the character of Kane and then WWF. And uh, at that time, you know, I'm the typical Greek-looking appearance, the dark hair, the mustache, had put on a little extra weight there. So fans would, honest to goodness, stop me at the mall or at the grocery store, and they would say, you're Paul Bearer. And I would honestly tell them, no, I'm George Pontus. And it got so bad to the point that I wound up lying a couple of times just to get him off my back. Okay, yeah, sure, I'm Paul Bearer. Because they thought I was like staying in character as the bad guy. And would take a picture and I'd sign Paul Bearer. But it happened enough time. (laughs) True story, I'm not making any of this up. It happened enough times for me to say, well, maybe we can do something with this. Because... At that time, the person who was in charge of all the talent relations in the WWF was J.J. Dillon. And J.J. was a very, very dear friend of mine, still is to this day. And so I had his cell, you know, I had his home phone number. I called him. I explained to him what happened, uh, what was happening, and that I had an idea. And the idea was that I'm the real Paul Bearer, that the other guy is my evil brother, and if you guys remember the storyline with Kane, Kane was an insane yeah. in an insane asylum. So Kane found me in an insane asylum where the other Paul Bearer had locked me up. Kane gets me out. I manage Kane against the other Paul Bearer and Undertaker. We take that around the loop, and then come WrestleMania, I turn on <laughs> I turn on Kane. That, that, that's as far as my my thought process got. Well, JJ loved the idea. He took it to Vince. Vince liked, and I'm literally repeating the words that J.J. said, uh, Vince liked the idea and thought he had potential. But again, uh, timing is everything. And this was around the time when the steroid trials had had just completed with uh, with the government going against Vince, and and he had spent millions and millions of dollars um, to try to make sure he didn't wind up in jail, that uh, there was a, a... so there were several things that were happening that were against my favor. Number one, there was a hiring freeze, so I wasn't going to get hired regardless. Number two, um, they were letting people go. And number three, those that stayed, uh, the wrestlers received a pay cut, and those that were in the administration received a huge cut. What I'm going to say next is in JJ's book, so I'm not revealing anything secret, uh, but... Uh, those in administration, J.J. took a 6-0, a 60% pay cut. He wound up losing his house. Uh, He um, had to declare bankruptcy, which is why he wound up leaving the WWF and going to WCW. And uh, Gerald Briscoe, who's another dear friend, he verified that story as well. But anyway, so once J.J. left, I felt at that point he was my, my only contact with the WWF. So I, honestly, I kind of took it. I had two little girls at home, and I just kind of took it as a sign from God. No, George, this is not the path I have for you. But don't worry. I'm still going to keep you involved in wrestling. And here we are all these years later with some incredible memories and, and blessings. I, did you guys see the little video post I made today on Facebook about um, being on EBS Superstation and Gordon Soley mentioned me by name? Oh, I missed that. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Although we did see you um, 
making pancakes with uh, <laughs> what the hell were you doing with with Billy Corgan and, and David, David Crockett? Crockett. <laughs> David yeah. Crockett. I didn't know what was going on. Yes, that was. I saw that video. I thought maybe I was on drugs for a minute. I was, I was confused. <laughs> that was uh, uh, that was a beautiful meeting. We were that was at the Jim. That was at the Crockett Cops that the NWA started doing. Uh, Billy started doing reviving it. And uh, and so that's a beautiful story in itself as to how all that happened. When I saw in the news on the feeds or whatever that that they were bringing back the Crockett Cop, my immediate thought was, well, how can you have a Crockett Cop and not have a, a, a David Crockett present the cup? And so I reached out to David. I said, hey, this is, this is happening. Billy Corgan is doing the Crockett Cup. Um would you be interested in presenting it uh, if, if they say yes? He says, sure, George. Now, mind you, at this point, I, I did not have any contacts in the NWA. This is two years ago. Billy Corgan's NWA. But that has never stopped me. <laughs> and so I found I, I called, uh, I called, who did I call? I called Conrad Thompson and see if Conrad had any, any, any contact. Mm-hmm. Conrad is a very dear friend. And Conrad gave me their talent relations person who you know in the wrestling world uh, from ECW as Simon Diamond. Uh, His real name is Pat Kenny. And so when I found out he was doing talent, I reached out to Tommy Dreamer, who's a very dear friend. And I'm like, Tommy, what do you think of Pat? Oh, he's a great guy. Reach out to him. I reached out to Pat. And Pat is a huge Jim Crockett Promotions fan. And he was like, oh, my God. He was drooling almost. Are you kidding me, George? You can you can get David Crockett to present the cup? Yes, yes, yes. We'll make it happen somehow. And so that kind of showed, uh, uh, you know, Billy Corgan that I could deliver. And at that, it was at that breakfast meeting that uh, Billy had asked for us to come together so we can kind of plan different, you know, different thoughts and go over different, what can David offer? What can I offer? And I just came out and said, you know, I know a lot of the legends. Are you interested in having other legends uh, be special guests at your show? And he's like, of course I am. And so that opened the door and very blessed, uh, you know, at various different pay-per-views for Billy Corgan's NWA. I brought in, uh, I brought in J.J. Dillon. I brought in Barry Windham, Ricky Steamboat, Baby Doll, and so just, uh, and there's some other surprises around the corner as well. But it all happened because I wanted to, I wanted to preserve the history of our Jim Crockett promotion. And since that's what uh, Billy Corgan was doing, I wanted to make sure that, you know, that history was still continued, if you will. And because of that, and which is what, what caused my selling my footage to the WWE was because I wanted fans to see that incredible footage of those young Ric Flairs and Steamboats and Black Jack Mulligans and the, the grandfather of Bray Wyatt and, and everything else. So when you do good things, and if, if there's anything, any message I want to leave anyone listening, is that when you do good things, good things come back to you. And I've been very blessed with that, and I, I believe that with all my heart. You've put a lot of good out there into the into the world and into the wrestling universe in particular. And as an educator, I I, I, uh, I believe that uh, educators are, are some of the some of the best uh, best folks that we have. So you, you've you've done your done your share for uh, 
for humanity. Um, I wanted to ask you real quickly about that um, that footage, and I know that we've talked a little bit uh, before about you know some of that ended up on I know the Magnum TA, um, Dark Side of the Ring. I know there was some footage on there. Um, are there are there shows? Are there places where folks can see that footage? Like, uh, on are they on you know, the the streaming? So basically, I sold about six hours worth of what would be considered in the business B roll footage. Okay, um, f- uh, when I was filming it back then, it was very ex- not only was it very expensive to purchase, it was very expensive to develop, and again, we were poor, and so uh, uh, and you could only buy little little reels that lasted about three and a half minutes. And so I quickly figured out how to shoot a match. And back then, when they put you in a headlock, you know, they kept you there for five minutes. It's not like now with a constant uh, a constant movement. And so, honestly, when you look at my footage, it looks like I have two and three cameras. And that's because I knew, okay, it's Johnny Weaver versus versus Johnny Valentine, and they, he just put him in a headlock. He's going to keep him there for five minutes. I would get up from, from the ring apron, run up a couple steps, get a quick shot of the, of the headlock from that angle, maybe go around to the side, get another shot from there. So when you played the, the, fu- the film, uh, it looked like there were different cameras that were being used. Either that or do the cutaway where if there was a famous photographer like a Bill Apter, uh, at ringside, I get a quick shot of him, and then go back to the camp, back to the ring. It would be a, something else happening in the ring, but it gave that flow and transition. And so uh, I knew I had good stuff. And uh, the so with that footage, when and what I had was I knew was the carrot, okay, and the carrot that would grab the attention of of the WWE, and that is we talked about Ric Flair. Uh, he, co- he goes by the Nature Boy, but he was not the original Nature Boy. Now, since Tim, you're up from uh, up north there, who was the original Nature Boy? Oh, no, Buddy Rogers, Four, of course, right? Right? Okay. So, Buddy Rogers did the favors. This was late 70s. The Booker was a guy by the name of George Scott, which David referenced in your interview. And he was the one, that, and he and Buddy Rogers were very dear friends. So Buddy came down here and had three matches with Ric Flair, one in Greensboro, one in Richmond, and one at the Norfolk Scope. I had, because I sold it, but I filmed the only known arena footage of the Battle of the Nature Boys, Ric Flair versus Buddy Rogers. And yes, it can be seen forever. It can be seen on the, on the network. It's still there, by the way, for those people that have the network. Uh, there's uh, uh, that footage is on there. Uh, they, they put, as we know, Hunter is a is a huge Ric Flair fan, so he's got Valentine versus Flair, Valentine versus versus, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Flair versus Steamboat, uh, Harley Race, uh, and so. But because they're people that look at the footage, just they were able to digitize all of my footage and preserve it, and so. My footage can be seen on the, the 30 for 30 documentary, on uh, the Peacock doc- documentary for Ric Flair. When they did the um, A&E biographies, my footage is on, on se- several of the, on the Roddy Piper biography. When they did the Most Wanted Treasures, my footage is on the Valentine and uh, Brutus Beefcake one. It's on the Ric Flair 
uh, one. So it's definitely out there. And uh, and also another dark side of the ring would be the uh, uh, the Abdullah the Butcher. Uh, some of my footage there of Abdullah wrestling Wahoo McDaniel uh, is on there. Mm. So uh, I'm very happy that fans, it's only snippets, but at least it's, it's there for people to see. And I have more footage that I have not released. So stay tuned. How much do you estimate that you would still have in the, in the can from, uh, from back then? Uh, many, many hours, actually. Because <laughs> I, 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 I um, graduated from the, from the Super 8 to the little, the little mini cam v, VH8, I think it was called. And so with those, you can film like two hours. So I would film extended versions of the matches. So, and I have many, many, many hours of those. That's awesome. Yes. I, I hope that they're able to uh, see the light of day eventually for fans and historians, especially. I mean, Rich and I, you know, as being librarians, um, I think we released a little uh, short preview episode just a week or so ago that we're going to change the name of this podcast uh, from all the WrestleManias to uh, the Wrestling Archives. And part of the reason for that is, well, one, we've kind of, you know, outgrown the just the WrestleManias yes. uh, focus. And we obviously we we talk now to, um, you know, folks with a long history in the business. And we've talked to lots of indie wrestlers and we talk about things that are not um, you know, WrestleManias, um, but also are, you know, as librarians and people who are very interested in sort of the, the preservation of the art form, you know, we thought that the archives kind of captured uh, uh, a little bit better sort of our, our project here. So we were kind of excited to, to do that. And so, well, and that actually ties us back in because I have a great WrestleMania story. Uh, and since I know you went to, uh, which one was it? 30? 30. The Undertaker uh, losing the streak. Yeah, that's. A, I read your article about it, but uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about yes. uh, about that. The, to me, the best part is how I got there, and it, and it ties into the footage. And so, once uh, once uh, Hunter found out that I had that uh, the whole the Holy Grail of Rick versus Body Rogers for the Battle of the Name, he told Ben Brown, the archivist, make this deal happen. And so we went back and forth, of course, and what I wanted you know, was not what, what they were going <laughs> to offer, but we came to a, a very nice uh, understanding. And, uh, and then I decided that I wanted a little bit more because they had talked me down when the, on the price. I wanted a little bit more. So I kind of dropped the hint. You know, Ben, uh, I've never been to, this is before I said yes to the final sale. You know, Ben, I've, I've never been to a WrestleMania. So he picked up on the hint. So, uh, I, George, are you saying if I throw in some WrestleMania tickets, <laughs> uh, you can, uh, you'll say yes? I said, well, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. So long story short, um, they gave me free wrestling tickets. They, they flew me first class. And, and part of my worry was when I turned over the footage, I did not want to mail it because, God forbid, something happens in the mail, then it's lost forever. I said, if you want it, you're going to have to fly me up to Connecticut. And, I, and, and let's be honest, I had an ulterior motive because I also said, um, once he agreed to that, I said, well, then I got to have a tour of the, uh, of the office. I, you know, if there's anybody around, whether it's Hunter or Vince or, or Stephanie and anybody from the family, I definitely want to meet them. And he said, yes, George, you know, we, we'll make that happen as well. 
So again, not only did they fly me first class up there, the chauffeur that picked me up from Kennedy, very nice young man, told me that, and of course he could have been lying, but I don't believe so, told me that he was Vince's personal driver, uh, that he had picked up Hulk Hogan and John Cena and you know, all these huge names. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God. <laughs> this is this is like like too incredible to be true. They put me up in a nice hotel. Uh, we went over to the office. I turned over the footage. And uh, then uh, Ben says, George, uh, I know I promised you I would, uh, I would give you a tour, and I will, but there's nobody here. Uh, and so I can't introduce you to anybody. And, and he saw that I was disappointed. And he goes, but I have a surprise for you. I said, okay, that's fine. So we went, we walked around the offices there a little bit. Then he puts me in a car and he driving. And where are we going? Don't worry, you'll see. Eventually we wound up to the WWE warehouse. I had a personal mm. tour and there's... Uh, and if you guys have never seen like a nice tour, if you will, there's several, you know, they did a couple behind the scenes. So on YouTube, there's definitely 10, 12, 14 minutes of, of official footage of the warehouse. But I got a personal uh, Ben Brown tour of the, of the warehouse. And just what I would see was just incredible. There was a, there was a WWE ring there. I got in the ring. I, I ran the ropes in a WWE ring. Nice. Uh, I saw ECW signs. I saw Shawn Michaels robes. I saw Ric Flair robe. I mean, it was just, I was Willy Wonka. No, that was Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. And I was Charlie Bucket. It was, it was just incredible. He more than made up for not being able to vin to meet any of the McMahon family. And then uh, when WrestleMania 30 happened, they flew me there, gave me great seats. Uh, and uh, I happened to be one of those fans that saw Brock Lesnar defeat The Undertaker. And it really was that moment of silence that everybody was looking yeah. at. Did we just witness what we think we witnessed? It was incredible it was absolutely incredible well as a uh, as a promoter and somebody you know who's who's been on the other side was that the right was that the right call was that the place for him to break the streak should it have happened earlier or later than that I, or to a different opponent what do you think i think if it had to happen to anybody brock was the one i i would have kept it going a little bit more as a promoter but to milk it if nothing else <laughs> yeah but uh at the at, at and and who uh, Vince was ready to do it, and I think that's at the end of the day, you know, that's the boss, and he's the one that calls the shots. And uh, but I would have kept to answer your question, I would have I would have kept it going a little bit more, uh, a couple more years. That's my feeling. What about you guys? I don't know. Rich is the Undertaker. Uh, I mean, Supermark. The, it, you're so at that point. Undertaker is not looking his best. He's 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 you know he's aging like everybody yes. does. He's yes. you know he's just about to the point to where he's only showing up to fight at WrestleMania at that point. So you have to somehow break it. And while they argued that like Brock Lesnar didn't need the push that he would get from breaking it, it also continues the gimmick that Brock Lesnar uh, had of being the next big thing That's and right. being just 
a, a monster of, of a human being just tearing through opponents. And so I can't think of anyone else that it would make sense to have ever stopped the streak. And so if, if, if it wasn't going to be Brock Lesnar, then the undertaker has to retire with the streak. And, and I would never have done that. I would have eventually had him lose. You, you, you gotta, you gotta do the, do the job right. But, uh, and also don't forget that Brock and, uh, and Mark were very dear friends. Oh, yeah. Oh my God, we didn't finish the story, and I guess I know we're we're running over time here, so we can oh, whatever. we can end with the happy ending of the Undertaker's uh, story that I was saying earlier, the Paul Bearer story. And so now, fast forward, um, fast forward to Ric Flair's last match, and um, they used my footage there. In the I forgot to list that one when when they were telling this, the story of the, the mini documentaries that they did to lead up to Ric Flair's last match, on several, on, there's, they did three, four, they did four. And on all four of them, they used my, some of my footage. And one of the, my favorite ones is when Ric Flair is training with Jay Lethal, the, uh, um, the director, Scott, was able to take my footage of Ric Flair wrestling Wahoo McDaniel and blended in all, almost what Rick and Jay were doing in the ring. It's just poetry in motion from a director's perspective. And, of course, the guys in the ring. So they, they used it there. And, and the coolest part for me was, guys, so the mini, you know, part one is over, part two is over, part three is over. And at the end, it's one It says, especially like the number two is when I really popped big time. It says, and for, we would like to thank WWE for the footage and George Pontus. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. <laughs> WWE and George Pontus in the same sentence. Uh, so, so it's now um, Sunday night. The, uh, Rick is over there wrestling. I needed to go to the gorilla position to take care of something. I went over there, took care of it. Of course, in my formal suit and tie, proper, I, proper credentials around my neck. I turned to leave and I bump into Mark, the Undertaker. Now I don't I'm not a cursing person, but inside of me I'm like, holy shit. Mark is here. Undertaker's yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. There is no blanking way I'm gonna walk away from here without telling him my story. And I knew if he was ever had if there was ever a chance for him to believe it, this was the one and only time because again of where I was. And what I was wearing. It wasn't like I stopped him at the mall wearing a dirty T-shirt and, and torn jeans. And th- what I knew was going for me was his, he just became a Christian a couple of years ago. His wife is a, uh, you know, brought him back to the faith. And so I, I, st- I opened my sentence with, hi, Mark, uh, George Pontus. I just need two minutes of your time. And I just want to say something to you real quick. That if there was a Bible here, I would put my hand on it. So you know what I'm going to say is the truth. Well, that grabbed his attention. Uh, okay. And then I told him what I told you guys. And uh, and I showed him a picture. I have a, a picture of uh, me and actually the Iron Sheik. Uh, and it's, it's in the back of the TBS studio, that other story that we'll have to tell another time. And I saw black hair. The more as soon as he saw the picture, like, oh, my God, yeah, I see. You, you do favor him. And so... I finished telling the story. I said, Mark, do you mind? Can we get a picture together? And he says, are you kidding? And with a big smile on his face, are you kidding? I want to take a picture with you. So he grabs my phone and sticks it with those big arms out there. 
And uh, I'm like in shock. When you see the picture, you've seen it on Facebook probably. I'm like, I can't believe what's happening right over here. And that picture is a selfie that Mark Calloway, the undertaker, took of he and I because he wanted to take that picture. And that's the happy ending to the story. Mm-mm-mm. That's awesome. I I have to tell you my Paul Bearer story real quick. Please. All right. So uh, when I was younger and not able to grow facial hair the way I do now, uh, I resembled Paul Bearer, especially as a teenager. And so the WWF heart attack tour uh, came to Baltimore. And so that was featuring Undertaker versus Yokozuna and Brett versus Owen. It's a heck of a house show tour. And one of the things they did in Baltimore was a Paul Bearer lookalike contest at, oh, wow. at intermission. And my dad went with me and I dressed in a, in a black suit and I rubbed baby powder into my face and stuff <laughs> like that to get me looking really pale. Um, it kind of got messed up because I got licked by a bushwhacker that night. Um, <laughs> what a story. My dad pushed me. Uh, up through the crowd while they were trying to find people to be in the lookalike contest. And how one old, of the producers, how old were you then? How old were um, you then? 12, 13, okay, maybe. Uh-huh. Okay. And um, my dad pushed me up through the crowd. And one of the producers spotted me that I was dressed with as Paul Bearer. And I had like the foam souvenir urn and stuff like that. And so they got me up into the ring with a couple other people. And I got to do a Paul Bearer impersonation. And it was, it was, eh, you know, I'm a kid, whatever. And then this other guy next to me does this killer impersonation. And everybody cheers for him to win, you know. And it wasn't until maybe about a year ago, and I've been reflecting back on this moment and stuff like that and seeing pictures of Paul Bearer before he was Paul Bearer and being Percy Pringle and just William Moody and that the guy that won the contest was Paul Bearer out of content out of no costume are you for real absolutely so Paul the dude is just standing right next to me in the ring and I just did your father take a picture of you in the ring no, of course not. And uh, like it was also like this was before like digital cameras and stuff course, like that. Course, and you know, course. we didn't there's very few photos of my childhood in general just because we didn't have cameras and we didn't right. uh, so um yeah, that was what a that great story. Mind blowing to me, but I didn't get to actually possibly become the real Paul Bearer like you. So <laughs> <laughs> There is a great picture of him there in his getup. He will probably yes, he can please. send it to you if you're yes, if you're please. nice to him. So, um, well, we've kept you on here a real long time, and there's there's lots and lots of other stories. Um, we could have you back. We could talk a little bit about uh, South Atlantic wrestling. We talk about sort of your uh, original foray foray with VCW. But I thought I would um, just kind of wrap up with two things real quickly. Um, one is to bring it back to VCW and the Tidings of Destruction show. Of course, um, I'm just kind of curious about uh you know the the promotion has really been having a, a banner year the um you know the ticket sales have been great the shows in um, norfolk uh here in and across the water in hampton and now up in alexandria um so how are you feeling about you know as you're as you're stepping back a little bit from the commissioner role how are you feeling about you know the vcw uh, progress and and where does it go from very here? very very proud 
And it's a lot of hard work by a lot of people behind the scenes and, of course, the wrestlers uh, in, the, in the ring itself. But we're so blessed to uh, be a cohesive unit. Uh, and, uh, and I see the sky is the limit, really. Uh, this has been a, a long project of wanting to go up north. This, isn't, this was definitely not a, a last-minute decision. And we wanted the timing to be right. We wanted, we wanted the, the, the story behind the reason for being up there to be right. And you guys were there legitimately, right? Over 500 people there standing with. Yeah, yeah, 500 and You some. guys were there. I was not able to, to go because I had a previous commitment with the family. But you guys talk for a second about the atmosphere of that show. They were standing in the aisles. They ran out of seats. They, they were going to the back to find more chairs. Uh, and then they eventually ran out of chairs and people were just standing around. Um, the crowd for Logan's last last match in Northern Virginia, I know he's not done done just yet, but he... Um, you know, he was from up that way. And, and so he had lots of friends and family in the audience. They were, they were so proud and so, so loud and boisterous. And dirty um, money too. It was dirty uh, money had, had tons had, of oh fans. My God, there, dirty man. money. Oof. I was in, I was in the concession stand line be, uh, behind this, this girl. We were, we were talking just a little bit and she said, Oh, um, you know, I go to this gym and one of our, uh, trainers, one of our personal trainers, you know, is one of the wrestlers. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, who who is it? And she's like, oh, it's Dirty Money. She's like, we didn't have any idea that he did this. I'm like, look at that dude. I don't know how he walks around that's and right. you don't yeah, realize yeah, that yeah. he's a wrestler. But maybe he maybe he cleans up real nice. I don't know. But um, yeah, he he apparently brought like the whole fam uh, for that show. So yeah, it was it was a good time. Jackie and I made a weekend out of it. We went up and spent about four days in Maryland, D.C. Yeah. Saw lots of friends, Very family, smart. not family, yes. but friends. I don't know, Rich. Did you have other thoughts? I mean, about it the was show? a party atmosphere, and that ap- and that crowd was was the most worked up crowd I had seen at a wrestling show in a very long time. To where none of the bad guys were even able to talk; they just got booed out of the ring and drowned out by a very raucous, very excited crowd. Um, and that really added to it. Like it, it, you can't get better entertainment for your buck folks. Like just, just go and leave your troubles at the door. Forget about rent, forget about your work and just watch people fight and enjoy it and tell a story. It's so good. It's so great. I, I am, I'm obsessed with VCW uh, and I, I hope there's more shows in the Northern Virginia area. So oh, I, I can definitely tell you, we, uh, we are, they are going back. And, uh, what about the surprise of Sanjay Dutt? And that's the other nice thing that you, you yeah. know, with independent wrestling, you can kind of do those things as well. And we were very proud that we were able to keep it a secret, like the CM Punk, if you will. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. We talked to both Logan and um, who else did we talk to who said they had worked with? Oh, Johnny, it was uh, yeah. Johnny Elliott. He had th- both of those guys had said that they, you know, had worked with Sanjay Dutt and had a lot of respect for him. So Rich and I were both kind of thinking, "Oh, I wonder if he's going to show up." And then there he was, and it was, so that was that was cool. And the crowd was super hyped; they were into it. Um, 
All right. So last, last, uh, quick fire questions here. We gotta, we gotta let you go to bed. We're, uh, we don't keep you up all night on the, on the horn here, but, uh, so this is probably our last interview under the, all the WrestleManias banner. And we have a couple of standard, all the WrestleManias questions that we like to ask our, our friends and guests. Um, I think we probably know the answer to this, but do you have a favorite wrestler or performer of all Woo! time? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Um, you talked about, obviously you're going to WrestleMania 30. Would you say that's your favorite uh, one because of your personal story or do you have another uh, WrestleMania or even a Starcade that you consider to be uh, well, I, a I, favorite? Well, Starcade 83, of course, I, saw, I saw it on the closed circuit TV back then. And mm-hmm. so that was very, very special. And so that one, and then also, oh, okay. I know we're jumping, but because we're under the the last time of this banner in WrestleMania, when I was at the warehouse, I forgot to tell you guys this, and I, I'll send you the picture, but I think I have it on Facebook also. I got to touch the very first WrestleMania ring. They had it all, you know, um, bundled up for lack of a better word but you know i touched the ropes i touched the i touched the the apron it was oh my god to touch that kind of history was just absolutely incredible uh but yes 30 because i was there uh, i enjoy all wrestlemanias i'm a as we said earlier i'm a wrestling fan and it'll be hard for me to to pick one or the other of course my favorite well you know what well go ahead ask your other questions i, I do want to somewhere before we end answer uh what my favorite wrestling match of all time was. <laughs> all right yeah let's well let's do that one that's a okay. that's a good one well i used to say my favorite match was rick flair versus ricky steamboat when they wrestled an hour at the norfolk scope it, it was poetry in motion as, as i've said before but they came back two weeks later and they did 90 minutes <sighs> 90 minutes so that one to this day is my favorite match of all time those those two were absolute artists together we watched all three of their uh matches with the nashville uh, one and the chicago and uh, the one the, the one clash was. of the champions one i can't remember where it was uh, at, but yeah yes and and both a, both yeah. will tell you you guys everybody thinks those matches were great and they were but the ones we did in the arenas, and especially in the 70s, were even better. And that's the ones I saw. And I have some of that footage. Well, again, I sold that to WWE. <laughs> but they have that footage. So, mm. Yes. Amazing. Okay, you said you have a couple of other questions, I think. Oh, one more, one more. Um, my last one was, uh, so you've, you've met and you've seen so many, uh, you know, really of the, of the top stars. Is there someone that you never got the chance to see live or never got the chance to, to meet that you really would have liked to? What a great question. Yes. Yes. Gorgeous George, because I'm George. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And, and and really to me, he was the original before there was a body Rogers, before there was a Ric Flair, you know, they didn't call him the nature boy, but he was the one with the robes with, with the theatrics and everything else. And uh, by all accounts in reading about him, he wasn't that great of a wrestler, but he mm-hmm. was an entertainer. And so uh, for many reasons, uh, uh, Gorgeous George would be the one. I would have loved to have seen him in action. Yeah, many folks credit him as like the concept of the gimmick and the total different character than, the, than, than their real persona and stuff like that. He's a, he's a fascinating person to read about. And he made a couple of movies too, by the way. 
Elias the Champ is one that comes to mind. Uh, so yes, so he's oh. did a couple of movies as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Muhammad Ali sort of famously credited uh, Gorgeous George as kind of the source of his whole uh, yeah. persona. You know, the the smack talk and the the motor That's mouth a very and that true kind story. of thing. So uh, when when I come back next time, remind me to tell you my, my Muhammad Ali story. Okay, we'll tease the, we'll tease I'll put the, it on the audience notes. there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I'm still like trying to piece together your whole story of how like you go from a fan ringside filming to like just you know. Oh yeah, I was at that party at the Marriott with Ric Flair, and like how how where how does that happen? And I know we're at an hour and forty five minutes, so we'll save that for the next time you come on. Yes, uh, but yeah, that, I'm. That one is a great story as well. How we got to that pot part? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we would not be a wrestling podcast if we didn't pull a dusty finish, uh, and of course, <laughs> and so that's why we're teasing the fans here listening of. Uh, Tuned, right? That's right. It'll never be over. It'll never we're be stripping over. Tim of the title. Yeah. He didn't really win it. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Um, well, we do what we put want to put one more plug in for Tidings of Destruction Saturday, December 2nd, Norfolk Masonic Temple, VCWProWrestling.com. Tickets uh, and information. Doors at 6 30, first bell at 7 30. Um, of course, you come say uh, so long, farewell, congratulations to George on his retirement, and come meet um, David Crockett. Tell him how much you loved him on our show. It's obviously the most important thing he's ever done in his um, his little career uh, is to be on, on here. Uh, Front rows uh, sold out, but there's ringside seats available. General admission still available. Good bargain. Good time. You'll have a fantastic uh, time. So, uh, George, uh, you know, we want to thank you again for uh, for taking the time for sharing your story with us. We really um, appreciate all that you that you've done and and all that you're willing to talk My about. My pleasure. Today. Thank you both. Uh, th- this really has been an honor, and I look forward to coming back again, and we'll continue our our, our wrestling love affair. And fans, remember, vcwprowrestling.com. This Saturday, come see amazing action. See me cry. (laughs) And and let's let's take that final picture together. And let's hope you make Jerry cry, too. Oh, I'm going to do my my darnest. And so, uh, just a reminder, you can find us for a little while yet at allthewrestlemanias.com. Um, after that, we're going to be at the wrestling archives, uh, wrestlingarchives.com, not the wrestlingarchives.com. Uh, we've swapped over our Twitter to Wrestle Archives at Twitter, um, ko-fi.com slash wrestlingarchives if you'd like to support the show. Uh, I believe our new email address is wrestlingarchivespodcast at gmail.com. We're, we're going to have to get used to saying all this new stuff. Our Insta's changed over as well. Yeah, we're gonna we've got new business cards on order. It's a whole rebranding effort. Um, I'm gonna have to get my <laughs> tattoos uh, erased and redone. Rich is gonna have to have the old logo that he burned into his lawn uh, removed. Um, he's gonna have to rename his child. Yeah. It's it's a I gotta, whole I gotta sell my car because I painted it with the big logo on it on the hood and stuff. <laughs> it's real embarrassing. Anyway, but again, thanks very much for listening and um, for signing off. I'm your co-host, Tim. And I'm Rich. Thank you, George. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good night. I'll see you next time. Bye.